Hi everyone, welcome to 92,000 Hours. This is a special episode on something we all have or will experience, grief. This podcast was launched as we entered a pandemic and we had three amazing seasons full of incredible guests. We launched our fourth season with a workshop focus in 2022. And halfway through it, we just stopped. We basically disappeared. In fact, it's been over a year since we've produced a podcast. So, why were we gone? And why are we coming back? Well, right in the middle of season four, the summer of 2022 was personally very hard for me. And it didn't get any easier in the fall. My sister got really sick and then she died. And while I was deeply grieving my sister, my brother died. It was a lot. I didn't even have it in me to think about anything like a podcast or developing and recording workshops to help others. I was moving mountains by simply meeting the requirements of my day job and my home life. Anything else was too much. And you know what? That's okay. Because we need to pause and give ourselves time to grieve. Our culture often doesn't really honor grief. At work, most of us get just three paid days off. Three days to plan and engage in all of the ceremonies of death. Honestly, three days doesn't really provide enough time to get everything done that is literally extra physical labor surrounding a death. Certainly, three days doesn't account for the time needed for the emotional labor surrounding death. Three days doesn't consider grief. As we were preparing this episode, we encountered the most incredible quote that I really want to emphasize here. It's from John Koenig, and he says, The word sadness originally meant fullness, from the same Latin root, satis, that also gave us sated and satisfaction. Not so long ago, to be sad meant you were filled to the brim with some intensity of experience. It wasn't just a malfunction in the joy machine. It was a state of awareness, setting the focus to infinity and taking it all in, joy and grief, all at once. That sums up my experience with grief this last year. And I'm experiencing it all over again, particularly the grief of the world. We're recording this while being bombarded with images of such tragedy in the Middle East and Ukraine. It feels like it's almost impossible to face. I read an opinion from David Brooks in the New York Times recently titled, How to Stay Sane in Brutalizing Times. He says a lot of things. It's worth a read. But in particular, he says that tragedies thrust the harsh realities of individual suffering in our faces. And in them, we find our common humanity. Tragedy, grief, common humanity. 
I've told this story in this podcast before, but it bears repeating now. Kansas State professor Michael Wesch, a cultural anthropologist, tells this beautiful story of his time living in a community in Papua New Guinea. One day, while on a hike deep into his time there, he was feeling very sad and missing the people back home that he loved. He became so emotional that his knees buckled and he cried. He allowed himself to really feel his loneliness and weep. But then he saw a few of the men he knew in the community approaching him, also hiking along the ridge. Michael tried to pull himself together. But as the men grew closer, Michael could see that they too were weeping. Quietly, without words, they sat down beside him and continued to cry. Michael was amazed and confused. He asked them what they were doing, and they told him that they could see that he was sad, and they too knew sadness. So they came up to sit with him in his sadness. So, as I have processed grief over this past year, and as I currently feel the weight of societal grief, heavy as a blanket, I'm so grateful for the connections and the community that I have. I'm so grateful to all of those who are willing to simply sit with me in my sadness. This is our common humanity. This is what it means to be human. And I've been so lucky to have my dear friend, my colleague, Lexi Banks, right here. In addition to being smart and intuitive, she literally has been studying death recently. And her insights are incredible. She joins us in this podcast to give us tangible activities and processes to help us with our grief. What a gift. Here's what she has to say. I have heard how fearful people are of dropping into the well of grief. The most frequent comment I hear is, if I go there, I'll never return. What I found myself saying one day was rather surprising. If you don't go there, you'll never return. This is a quote from Frances Weller in The Wild Edge of Sorrow, which is one of my guiding lights in grief work. He said, there are five pillars of grief, or in other words, five things we can and should grieve. First, and most talked about, there is the sorrow of losing something or someone we love. Second, the places in us that have not known love. Third, the sorrows of the world. Fourth, what we expected and did not receive. And finally, ancestral grief, the sorrows our ancestors held but were unable to share or process, a grief that lives deep in our bones. We've created a worksheet, which is available on the Connection Collaborative blog and on Substack to help you begin working through the grief you're carrying and may not even be aware of. Today, I'm going to explore one of those questions with you. How do you honor your grief and the people and things you've lost? Have you created a ritual around your grief? If you did, how did it serve you? If not, what might one look like? I just spent October and November celebrating Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, and Hanal Pichan, or Food for the Souls, in Merida, Mexico. 
For this holiday, people come together to make altars or ofrendas to honor their loved ones who have died. The altars are brimming with marigold flowers, photos, and the favorite foods of the deceased. They place a bowl of water and a towel so their ancestors' spirits can wash up before their meal. They light candles and may even put pillows and blankets out so the ancestors can have a rest after their long journey from the underworld. They cook meals underground for days wrapped in banana leaves, which are a symbol of rebirth. I loved seeing this traditional ritual in action and seeing how meaningful it was to the local people. Some took the entire week off of work to welcome their ancestors' spirits and spend time with their loved ones who are still here. It really cemented for me how much we shy away from the conversation of death in Western culture, how the myriad of deaths that will happen in our life, of pets, of loved ones, of relationships, of potential futures, of the state of the world, are often grieved in solitude. How will you honor your grief? How will you call in your community to hold you as you grieve everything you need to let go of? I hope to explore that with you today. I've spent the past year deep diving into loss, death, and ritual making. I ran into an excellent tool called Be Ceremonial that recommends using the one, two, three, four, five method for creating a ritual that is meaningful for you. First, choose one intention for your ceremony. What do you want to feel during the ceremonial experience? Why is this ritual important or needed? Second, consider two polarities or seemingly opposite emotions that you're holding as you navigate this grief. It may be grief and gratitude or light and dark. As you plan your ritual, do your best to create space for both of these emotions. Third, acknowledge and incorporate three time periods like the past, present, and future, or separation, transition, and return. Fourth, weave in the four elements, earth, water, fire, and air. For air, you might open the ritual with a minute of deep breathing. You could light incense or use essential oils to fill the air with a smell that reminds you of the person or thing you are releasing. For fire, you might light a candle or a fire. Incense works well here too. For water, you might wash your hands, face, body. You might sit by the ocean or a stream or boil herbs to cleanse your space. For earth, you might plant something, bring dirt into your ritual, or simply stand barefoot outside. This is just a guideline. If you can't use all four, don't worry. Your intention is what matters here. Fifth, tap into your five senses. Think through how you are engaging your sense of smell, sight, sound, taste, and touch throughout the ritual. Creating rituals is like flexing a new muscle. The more you use your ritual building skill, the more you will find rituals naturally coming together in your life. You may even recognize some of your current habits as rituals. I'd love to give you a few examples now of rituals that have resonated with me. I already talked about altar building, which is a fantastic way to honor your loved ones, both human and animal, who have died. Another simple ritual I love, which I got from the Grief Deck, which is a collaboration between many artists, writers, and grief workers, is called the Gathering of Stones. For this ritual, 
take a quiet walk in nature at a park, in the forest, or on the beach, and pick up any stones, flowers, feathers, or other items that catch your eye. Stop long enough to examine each of them and give them a name based on the grief you are carrying right now. This could be a feeling or a belief you hold about yourself and your ability to get through this grief. It could be a quality of the people, pets, or things whose loss you are grieving. It could be a memory of the past or a hope for the future. Carry all these items with you, and when you arrive at your destination, organize them into a design to create something new and beautiful from your grief. You could write a note about what you're letting go of and leaving behind, what you're hoping for the future. Leave it with your creation, knowing that someone else may find it and find meaning and strength in your words. Another ritual that resonated with me is the bundle ritual. You'll need a biodegradable piece of cloth, a shovel or trowel, string, a pitcher of water, and 10 items. The first to symbolize your journey with the person or thing you are grieving. The second to symbolize the feeling that person or thing brought you. The third to symbolize what they or it meant to you. The fourth to symbolize what this loss meant to you. The fifth to symbolize all your unanswered questions or desires around them. The sixth to symbolize what you have learned or discovered through their presence in your life or the grieving process. The seventh to symbolize courage in the face of suffering. The eighth to symbolize how you have changed. The ninth to symbolize your relationship with uncertainty. The tenth and last item to symbolize your ability to recover and be resilient. You should always begin your ritual with intention. If you have others around you, which I can encourage you to do, speak your intention for the ceremony out loud to the group. Then intentionally shift into ceremony through a song, a moment of silence, deep breathing, or the lighting of a candle. Place each item into your cloth, telling out loud the story of why you chose them and the meaning of each item as you go. When you're done, fold the fabric, wrapping it tightly enough to be secure and small enough to be buried. Wrap the bundle with string and with each rotation, say goodbye to the thing you are grieving. Dig a hole large enough for the bundle. Don't rush to put your bundle in. Observe the emptiness, the gap left in your life through the loss you are mourning. When it feels right, drop the bundle in and fill the hole with dirt. Clean your hands with water, removing the detritus of your grief. <sighs> Take a few breaths. That was a lot. <laughs> Working with and through your grief is hard but it is so, so important. This process is messy. It's never linear. It will go back and forth from bargaining to acceptance to depression and back again. It does not need to be Instagrammable. <laughs> there may be tears, there may be avoidance, 
When my dog went missing for three days and I was sure she was dead, I threw myself into my work and avoided thinking about it at all for the first two days. But on the third day, I couldn't eat. I couldn't work. I couldn't possibly make a poster about a burrito breakfast. My body was screaming at me to pause. And when I paused, I sat alone in the corner of my room with my grief and cried. And as I pulled myself out of that well of grief, I shook my body, I jumped and screamed. I brought out my drum, which I call Tanda, an indigenous name for the seer of life and death, and began chanting while drumming, calling her soul home and allowing myself to let go. I made myself a mug of cacao, which was admittedly the only thing that I'd thought all day, oh, I could stomach that, to open my heart and open my appetite. She was actually found the next day, but those hours taught me a lot about the messy process of grief, about using the tools you have available to process it, and the importance of creating a ritual that feels right instead of looks right. Don't forget to take care of yourself in this process. You can't lose yourself in your grief as easy as it would be to do. Drink water, eat nutritious meals. If cooking is too much and overwhelming for you, ask a friend or loved one to cook or order out. Move your body, go for a walk, go for a run, do yoga. Lean on and connect with other people. Don't isolate yourself because grief loves isolation, uncertainty, and fear. Meditate and slow down. Don't be afraid to say no and to listen to your body when it is asking or screaming for a break. And create something, whether it is a piece of art or a journal or a ritual. I hope you'll go to our blog to download the grief worksheet to get your wheels turning and begin processing all these big feelings and big hurts and big losses you are holding on to. And please tell us about your rituals around grief and what comes up for you as you go through this exercise. My email is Lexi, that's L-E-X-I-E, at connectioncollaborative.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Lexi. Please head over to connectioncollaborative.com or find us on Substack. The worksheets on grief are there for you. And a reminder, we really did mean we're back. Our next episode will bring us right back to the second half of season four, where we'll continue our workshops, next time focusing on values and priorities. Until then, I'm Annalisa Holcomb, your host of 92,000 Hours. Thanks for sticking with us. We look forward to seeing you next time.